baseball. He's fluent in Spanish. And he plays baseball in Compton. So that gives you a little insight into our life. That we live in the Riviera, we get to drive our kids to Compton, play baseball, and that he flows in Spanish like nothing you've ever seen. And I have a little girl, she's five. Her name's Birdie. She's got red curly hair. And uh, it's a bad pocket. And uh, she just got her ears pierced. Moment in our family, and currently I'm a stay-at-home dad. Feeds 5,000 or more folks. What else? What else? Jesus done all sorts of things. He washed the disciples' feet. What a moment for Jesus to wrap himself in a towel and wash his disciples' feet. Might be something the church can do right now. What else? He talked about being divine. Say that again. Like he talked about being divine. He talked about being the vine and people abiding in him, remaining in me. He declared he was the Son of God, that he was God. What else? Anything else? He called his disciples at the very beginning. He called these 12 fishermen, tax collectors, called them, they left everything to follow him. What else? All these things are leading up to today's sermon, so I want to make sure we remember what John has told us. He rose from the dead. Bingo, winner. He rose from the dead. That was probably last week's sermon or two weeks ago, I'm guessing. Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection took place. Last week he probably appeared to some women. He rose from the dead. Where we are at in John's gospel is the climax. That John has said, I have written these things for a purpose, and we're going to get to that purpose. But before we do, we're going to look at two more little accounts. John 20, verse 19. The women have just told the disciples that... Uh, They've seen Jesus. They go back, Mary, they tell the disciples, and then it says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, so that's Sunday night, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Why were they scared of the Jewish leaders? Can you think of why? <laughs> they just killed Jesus. And if the guy you've chosen to follow was just killed by the Jewish leaders... What is it safe to assume will happen to you? You're next. So they're locked in a room in fear of the Jewish leaders. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You guys know the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. He says, Shalom. And then after he said this, he showed his disciples his hands. He showed them his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I don't know who these disciples are, if it's just the ten or the eleven. But what's missing, you'll find out. Ten. Or if it was Jesus traveled with much more than just the ten. You guys know that, right? Lots of women, lots of other folks. And so they're in this room, 
and Jesus appears, and Jesus says, peace be with you, which would be a typical greeting. But then we get to verse 21, and this is where I want to hang out a bit. Verse 21 and 22. Jesus says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? It's a powerful passage. It's a confusing passage. But I want to take a moment to just highlight a couple things in this passage. First off, whenever something is said twice, it's significant. Jesus said, peace be with you twice. But Jesus says, I am sending you in the same way that the Father has sent me. What did the Father send Jesus to do? Non-rhetorical. I don't ask rhetorical questions. Sorry. What did Jesus? What did the Father send Jesus to do? We just talked about some of it. Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Bring people to God. Pay the price. What else? What? The ultimate example. The ultimate example of what? The ultimate example of what? So you, here you have Jesus saying, I am sending you to do the same things that I have done, to continue on the same ministry that I have done. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. This is, passage has blown my mind all week. Let me tell you why. Any of my preachers passage next Where else do we read about people receiving the Holy Spirit? Acts. What happens in the book of Acts when they receive the Holy Spirit? They teach. What else? They speak in tongues. Are they bold or shy at that moment? They're quite bold at that moment. It is fascinating to me that we have John saying that Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit. And then there's no power. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to go on and there's no power. But here, you guys like a good sandwich? You guys like sandwiches? Yeah. Meat, bread, maybe some hot mustard or something, some strong, some hot bread. That last verse, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. How are a person's sins forgiven? Say it loud. Through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. How else are a person's sins forgiven? Am I not anything else? By accepting what Jesus offers. By accepting what Jesus offers, right? 
I think we can read this passage and think, wow, I do not want to be the one that's forgiving people's sins or telling people their sins are not forgiven. How many of you actually want that task? How many of you think that would make me a real jerk and my coworkers would hate me? Right? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are not forgiven. <laughs> right? But if you think about it this way, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending you to do what I have done. Receive the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus is the way that a person's sins are forgiven, then John is saying, you know what? Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to tell people about me. Right? I'm sending you now to tell people about me. If they've accepted Jesus, their sins are forgiven. If they haven't accepted Jesus, their sins are not forgiven. Do any of you like backpacks? Do you know what backpacks people are? Where are you backpacks? John Muir Trail. I just did the John Muir Trail with my seven-year-old son. Yeah. So I brought my seven-year-old son's backpacking backpack. And this is his little REI pad. He carries his own sleeping pad, his own clothes, and his own uh, sleeping bag. So it's a backpack. Does anyone else backpack? What are the ten essentials? Does anyone know the ten essentials of backpacking? Water. Water. Okay, I'm cheating. I actually have the written right here. So we have water. We have navigation. We have nutrition or food. We need calories. We have sun protection. We have insulation, a jacket, a beanie. We have warmth, something to start a fire with. Illumination. Some sort of first aid kit, shelter, and a whistle. Those are kind of the, those are not kind of, those are the ten essentials. My little seven-year-old put half of them in here. I don't even know. He's got his compass in here. He's got his knife in here. Yes, I gave a seven-year-old a knife. Proud moment in dad's life. But there's those essentials, right? Here's what John is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are to go and share the gospel. But you do not go alone. And it is the Spirit of God that goes with you. And I am with you to share the gospel. So go, but the essential aspect of sharing the gospel is the Holy Spirit. So do you see the sandwich? I'm sending you. He breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says again, go. Forgive sins. Do just what I do. All of us are given this task. And I think it's fun to be a pastor because oftentimes it's the pastor's job, it's Brittany's job, it's Kennedy's job, right? But it's all of our jobs. It's all of the disciples' jobs to go and to share the gospel. Now what is the gospel? The story of Jesus. Who Jesus is. Right? You guys know those four books? We call them the gospels. What are the gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we call them the Gospels. The early church did not call them the Gospels. You know what the early church called them? The Gospel, according to Mark. The Gospel, according to Matthew. The Gospel, according to Luke. The Gospel, according to John. Why? Because they were telling one story of who? Jesus. Right? There's actually very little in the Gospels about me. I can put myself in the stories, but the Gospel is about who? Jesus. And we are to go as His church by the power of the Spirit... And tell people about Jesus. And John's going to take us a little farther. 
Here's what happened. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Who knows where John was? I mean, who knows where Thomas was? But he wasn't there. All people grieve in different ways. Jesus has just died. He's been put in a tomb. We do not know where Thomas is. We do know a couple interesting things about Thomas. Young Bible, turn back to John 11. I kind of like Thomas. The more you study Thomas, I kind of like him. John 11, verse 16. Jesus is going to go heal Nazareth. I mean, Lazarus. And we meet Thomas. Jesus says, oh, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. We're going to go up and raise him from the dead. And Thomas goes, this is what Thomas says to the rest of the disciples. Then let us also go that we may die with him. Kind of pessimistic, right? <laughs> Let's go. We're all going to die. Another, turn to uh, chapter 14. Verses. Pessimist again, isn't he? He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I kind of think of in the 12, Thomas is that guy who's pretty realistic. What do we always call Thomas as the church? Doubting Thomas. I think Thomas has been given a bad name. He's not really a doubter. He's more or less a realistic human. A realistic person, a picture of humanity. How many of you, if I told you, if you were there and somebody came back and said, Jesus, who we saw stabbed in the side, is not in fact dead, he is alive. How many of you would be like Thomas? Say, yeah, right. Come on. So one of my favorite things uh, in preparing for a sermon is I have two perfect little uh, a congregation. Their names are Cormac and Bertie, my kids. And so I try to take every sermon. And last night I gave a five-minute sermon to them. And if my little kids can't understand what I'm saying, then it is an utter fail to tell you. You can't communicate to a seven-year-old. You can't communicate to an adult. It's just how it is. And so I asked Cormac, I go, what do you think Thomas was thinking when they said this? And his reply was, really? The people don't raise from dead. <laughs> right? A seven-year-old gets it, and yet we oftentimes put Thomas in a bad light, don't we? I don't want to be like Thomas. Here's what I love about this passage that we learn about the person of Jesus. That Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's pretty realistic. Come on, guys. I don't know what you were drinking that night, but this doesn't happen. This, it's all done, guys. And so verse 26. Here's pessimistic Thomas. Thomas, who's really a realist. Verse 26. A week later, 
his disciples were in the house again. So seven days later, the next Sunday, the disciples have got back together. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, what did the disciples just receive in the last little section we looked at? The Holy Spirit. Now where are the disciples now a week later? Locked in a room. Some people say that the disciples not really received the Holy Spirit there. That it was just John saying, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And I think we live in a culture, a church culture, where how many of you are not good at talking to people about Jesus? Just raise your hand. It's okay. I'm not ashamed. I'm actually not that good at talking to people about Jesus. We live in our church culture, though, where we say, well, you have the Holy Spirit, you should do a lot. You have the Holy Spirit. What more do you need? Right? But the disciples were still locked in that room and scared. I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't say they were in fear anymore, but the doors were locked. So they didn't have fear. Jesus had given them peace, but they were still in there, and they're still locked up. And so they're in there, and again, Jesus comes and stands among them. Now, some of you are obviously thinking, how did Jesus get in? I'm not sure. Did he walk through the door? Did he appear? Jesus is there in John's account. Jesus is there. And then he says to Thomas, which Jesus has heard everything Thomas has said. If Jesus is God, he knows what Thomas has said. That Thomas has said, I want to put my, touch his hands, put my hand in his side, and then I'll believe. And we have a beautiful picture of Jesus. <clears> that Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, just believe. But Jesus comes to Thomas, verse 27, and Jesus says this to Thomas. He says, put your finger here. Ah, uh, side note. Do you think Thomas is regretting what he's asked for? <laughs> At this moment, like, uh, you want me to, uh, do you have gloves? What are they called? PPE, right? you got to put your gloves on. Thomas is probably standing there going, oh gosh, here he is. Jesus says, hey, Thomas, touch me. Put your hands right here. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now what does Thomas do? My Lord and my God, he listens. Why has Thomas been given such a bad rap? Why have we always called Thomas Downing Thomas and we, tell, we insult people in the church? Don't be a Downing Thomas. Just believe. Thomas did exactly what Jesus said. Jesus told him to believe and what does Thomas do? And who does Jesus go to? The person that was questioning. The person that needed more. Church, I have a ton of friends. They are Millennials. Is that the term we use for millennials? You guys are all millennials. I'm just talking millennials. We can get really annoyed with millennials. Millennials are these people that are filled with both certainty that they know how the world works best, while at the same time, tremendous doubts and questions about anything of a grander story of God or truth. Church. I love the model Jesus gives us here. That Jesus goes to Thomas, the pessimist, the realist. This things do not happen. 
And he says to him, check it out. And I love looking around this room. I'm almost certain that not everyone in here is a believer or a follower of Jesus. And yet, at the same time, you're here. And you're welcome here. So, church, well done. But you have a place where people can come and be pessimistic. Verse 29, and then Jesus told them, or told him. And this is always interpreted as Jesus like insulting Thomas. But I don't think Jesus is insulting Thomas. He says, then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Right? Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How many of you have seen Jesus? Actually seen him? How many of you have got to put your hand, finger in his hand? How many of you wouldn't want to do that? And his side. None of us. So, Jesus is talking to all of us here. Right? All of us have to believe based on the fact we have not seen. We have not seen. And so what do we have? We have the gospel according to John. The gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to Mark. And the gospel according to Matthew. And we're left to say, what do I do with this? What do I do with this person of Jesus? And so, in verse 30, there's an interesting thing, actually. The Gospel of John, I think there's only one time it uses the word faith. It always just tells you believe. Believe, believe, believe. All over. Believe, believe, believe. You could just read verse 20. It says that everywhere. Believe, believe, believe. And so what does John want us to do? Believe. And so we get to verse 30. And here's the climax. Here's the point where every one of us is now going into that polling place. John doesn't leave you an option. He has brought you here. You guys remember that pain of going to that polling place on Tuesday? And that little Stanford thing? That is where we are now in the Gospel of John. Every one of us who has been here, whether you've been here two weeks or since January 1st, 2016, and you've heard all of what Jesus has done, John brings us to this point. And he says, Jesus performed many, many... I can't even pronounce my wife's name. So you guys know my wife's name is Kenna, but I call her Kenna. And I also don't say Manny, I say Manny, so... I apologize. My seven-year-old makes fun of me and my five-year-old. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. The Gospels are not all Jesus did. Jesus did a lot more, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How many of you have heard people say this about the gospel accounts? That they are biased accounts of Jesus. You guys heard this? This is a strong argument against the Christian faith. That they are biased accounts. What I love about the gospels is they do not deny. Yes, we are biased accounts. I want you to believe. That is why I've picked the things I've picked. John says, this is who I think Jesus is. This is why I've written. But we have to unpack two terms here. That you may believe what about Jesus? That he was a good person? That he was revolutionary? That he was sweet? That he was caring? All things Jesus loves. 
But here is what John wants you to believe. That Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah. This Jesus, this Jewish anointed one. This one that was set apart. This one that was going to come and make everything right. That Jesus is that. That he fulfills the entire story of Israel in one person. That is the gospel. That Jesus fulfills the entire story of Israel in himself. That's what John wants us to believe. And he wants us to believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is God himself. That he is divine. And then that by believing, you may have life. Abundant life, eternal life, exuberant life. Right? How many of you have thought that uh, if this is my fun thing I talk with young people about, that my life will become worse if I follow Jesus. It will become boring and non-exciting. That term is like you will have life, you will have this overflowing of abundance of excitement and joy that is beyond anything you can ever grasp. And so, John brings us to this point, all of us. We're all at this point. Now, there is something interesting there, and I'll point out, because Brittany's here and she took Greek. That word believing could mean continue to believe, or it could mean start believing. Right? So some of you are here, and John has written this gospel, and you've gone through this so that you will continue to believe in Jesus. Right? And others of you are here, and you are now in that polling box where you have to say, who is Jesus? Do I think he's the Messiah, the Son of God? Or do I not? Now, i got to give you a little... I was kind of bummed after I started studying this passage. Because I hate being that random guy that shows up and tells you to believe in Jesus. <laughs> and that is, like, totally not my style. If anything, I'm the guy who would, like, journey with you for years and never ask you to follow Jesus. <laughs> And just make sure you really know what you're getting yourself into. But since you've been studying John for the last 11 months, I think it's pretty clear now you understand what you're getting yourself into. What Jesus is calling you to. That as Jesus sends you out to the world, he says, as he was sent, he sent you. And so here we are. What do we do? What do you do? How do you... Which little stabber? I call the stabber. Have you heard of the Canadian champion? Which one do you stab? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God or is he not? Now, side note, I have to say this. If you don't want to answer that question today, don't stop coming. Don't think like, hey, brought this guy in and he gave us this ultimatum and now, no. Please don't. Stay like Thomas. Keep asking, hey, I need more. I want to see more. I want to know more. I want to experience more. And I promise you that the same Jesus who appeared to Thomas will appear to you. That the same Jesus who was not afraid of Thomas's questions, the same Jesus who was not afraid of Thomas's pessimism, I'm actually a good pessimist, to be honest, that same Jesus will appear to you. But here we are. I'm supposed to get to like in five minutes. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, Give it up for Tim. How great is Tim?
least on that shit. And I gotta give a funny tip story. So my wife and I got married after 17 days. Uh, it was not a very popular decision among the local Christian world, but we went on our honeymoon to Baja on a surf trip, and we came back, and we had like mm, 3,500 voicemails, all of them like super long, and there was one voicemail from a guy named Tim Madsen that we saved on our phone for like, we was just like so, like the sweetest voicemail you've ever heard. So that voicemail was uh, saved for... I'm not kidding. I told my wife's razor. Told the razor phone. I told the razor broke. And then... I want to encourage you from my own life that... I've spent... Part of the reason I have so many degrees is because I'm like Thomas. I'm a pessimist. I'm... Not all of you are like that. Some of you are here and belief is just so simple for you. And in a way... If you're a pessimist like me, you're jealous. I'm jealous of you, right? Aren't you jealous of those people that can so simply get to that place of like, yes, Jesus, I want to be like that person. But I'm not that person. Right? That's why I just keep studying. But let me say, the more I study, the more I dive in the Gospels, the more I dive into the person of Jesus, he is who John says he is. He does come to those pessimists when they need it most. Right? He does come at those moments of, is this really all true? And so I guess this Tim just sings. I want you to think, if you were to walk out of here right now, and you had to stop and punch, who is Jesus? What would you do? How would you? How would you answer that question? That's where John thought, I didn't want to preach that. But that's where John has brought you through his entire gospel. Here you are. What do you do now?